Well, like Belinda said, we're in a series called People Joining Jesus, okay? And two weeks ago, we took a look at the presumed adulterous woman. And we learned from that story that, that worship will transform you, that it will change your life. Last week, we took a look at Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? I mean, he's the guy who climbed up the tree. There's a song about it, but I'm 63 years old, and I can't remember what it, how it goes. But we looked at Zacchaeus and how, how we can be transformed by adopting God's value system as opposed to the world's value system on us or for us. Today, we're going to take a look at us. We're going to take a look at you because your life matters to God. Your involvement at Life Point Church matters to God because the church is the hope of the world, folks. And if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't have given the last 40 years of my life to the gospel and the last 28 here in Plano, or Collin, Plano Texas or Collin County. 28 years ago, I came to this community because I wanted to give people hope. I'll never forget, when I first came here, I met a pilot. He had this little cub pilot, a cub plane, and he says, George, would you like to, to go for a, a ride, just to fly around Plano? And I said, sure, I'd love to. This is when I first got here. And so we're flying over, and, and I'm looking at Plano, Collin County, and you could see that things were moving north. And as I saw that, God gripped my heart. He reminded me of, of a time in Jesus' life when he was overlooking Jerusalem, and as he was, his heart was gripped where he wept over the people of Jerusalem because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And at that moment, in that plane with that pilot, I was kind of looking this way. I mean, tears were coming down my face. And God, in a supernatural way, gave me a love for this community. And he gave me a love for this church. And it was at that time I said, okay, God, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the people in Plano, Texas, to Collin County, to give them to give them help and hope, to help those who are hurting. And back then, people were hurting and people did need hope. In fact, as I've gone through scripture over the last 28 years here, I have discovered really everybody needs hope, don't they? Even the big giants of God need hope. I'm gonna do a series in January, just kind of priming the pump or probably after the first of the year, probably in February, on this topic matter. I want you just to write these down right now. Jeremiah needed hope because no one would pay attention to him. Take a look at Jeremiah 6.10. I, I, I've got something to say. Is anybody listening? I can relate to this one, okay? Maybe a spouse could relate to this. Yeah, my husband never listens to me, okay? I've got something to say. Is anything listening? Is anybody listening? It's hopeless. Their ears are stuffed with wax, deaf as a post, blind as a bat. It's hopeless. They've tuned out God. They don't want to hear from me. 
Jeremiah, one of the giants, felt hopeless because no one wanted to pay attention to him. Maybe you can relate. Micah needed hope because he needed prosperity. It was an economic issue. Take a look at Micah 7.1. It's hopeless. I am like a hungry person who finds no fruit left on the trees and no grapes on the vines. All the grapes and all the tasty figs have been picked. Maybe you're in a situation like that. It's an economic thing. You're, you walk with God, but man, hey, guess what, God? I, I've got this need. It's called life. I need to live. I need money. I need prosperity. David is another one that needed hope because of uh, relational conflict. Take a look at Psalm 69. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. The floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. Many enemies try to destroy me with lies. I endure insults. They scoff at me, but I keep praying to you, Lord, hoping this time you will show me favor. Maybe it's relational conflict. Job is another giant. Look at this one. Job needed hope because of, of disappointment. His dreams weren't coming to pass. Job 17, my best days are past, my plans are shattered, and my heart's desires are broken. Where then is my hope? Can anyone see any hope for me? Isaiah, a major prophet of God, needed hope because he was without purpose. He was aimless. He didn't have any direction in his life. Take a look at Isaiah 49, verse 4. I have labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Out of the English version, the same verse, I've worked so hard, but how hopeless it is. I've used my strength, but, but have accomplished nothing. 28 years ago, when I went up in that plane, God put a love in my heart to help the hurting, the hopeless, and the helpless in Collin County. And guess what? There's still people who need hope here in our community. And that may seem hard for you and I to really put our minds around that because of the affluence that we live in. Folks, around this church, there are half a million to million dollar homes. People buy, uh, drive brand new cars. There's hustle and bustle, people going here and going there. And so it is hard for us to visualize, to see, to get our minds around the fact that there are many people who are hopeless here. In fact, I happen to believe that hopelessness is greater today than it was 28 years ago. Why? Because there's just more people here. When I came here, Plano was 120-some thousand people. Today, it's close to 800,000. Collin County is over a million people, and it's still growing. Hopelessness is on the increase in Collin County. Do you remember our Easter service this past Easter? The place was packed, three services. We ran about, I think it was about 3,500 people. I had a business guy in our church who came to the first service on Saturday night. And as you remember, I asked people to come forward to bring those things that they were gonna trust God with. First, their life, if they hadn't said yes to Jesus. And then the second thing, to bring the, that thing that, that they're hurting in, that they wanna trust God in, that they feel hopeless about. And this business guy, well-established, been in the church a while too, sat there and says, this is never gonna happen. He thought no one would get up, and yet, this place with the cross was flooded with people. 
On that weekend, there were 238 people, and I keep this by my desk, that said yes to Jesus Christ for the very first time. And then there were, folks, I can't count them. There are thousands of cards here. And there are some of them right there. <laughs> thousands of them. The people are sharing their hopelessness. Failed marriages. People dealing with relational conflict within the extended family. Depression. Financial issues, job issues. You see, today I believe with all of my heart that people are still looking for hope. Two weeks ago, or not two weeks ago, but two weeks before I left on sabbatical, July, I called up a friend of mine who is a Plano police dispatcher, and I said, can you get me any information that's kind of going around, or going on around our church, our community right here? She said yes, and she gave me this report. I'm just going to read it as is. This is for the first two weeks in June, and we're talking driving distance of our church. Assaults, 37. Burglary of vehicles, 69. Burglary, 32. Child abuse, 2. Cardiac arrests, 11. Domestic disturbances, 188. DWIs, 109. Narcotics, 88. Overdoses, 15. Prostitution, 1. Robbery, 5. Runaways, 16. Sexual assaults, 5. Shooting and or stabbings, 2. Suicide attempts, 3. Theft, 102. Vehicle theft, 25. Weapons, 16. Welfare concerns, 200. People today are feeling hopeless, relationally, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, vocationally, across the board. And my goal this year for our spiritual family is simply this that you see, that you see four things this year, very quick, very clearly, that you see God in a new hopeful way, that you see yourself in a new hopeful way, that you see your community in a new hopeful way, that you see your church in a new hopeful way. Because the reality is this, nothing starts until we begin to see correctly. In fact, will you write this down? Perception is the start of new hope. Take a look at Ephesians chapter one and verse 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Will you circle eyes and hope and draw a line between the two? to which he has called you and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Folks, perception is the beginning of new hope. And I believe, it, it, I, I, I believe it's only as we see the true state of who God is and who we are and what others are really going through that they're hurting, that they feel helpless, that they feel hopeless, that we will go. That we will go to every person in Collin County. Why? Because every person matters. I get asked this question a lot. George, how big do you want the church to be? As long as there is one person that doesn't know Jesus, I'm after him. 
And I don't care whether they're in Collin County or they're across the globe. I'm doing research now and it looks like we're gonna get a connection with Pakistan. I wanna go because people are dying without hope. I want you to think about this. Your life mattered so much that God answered your heartfelt prayer of hopelessness that you had before you said yes to Jesus, didn't he? He did. And more than likely, he sent, more than likely, he answered that prayer through a person, didn't he? Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was a friend. I don't know, maybe it was your Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a pastor. I don't know. But, but before you said yes to Jesus, you had a heartfelt cry of hopelessness. God, I'm missing something in here, and you need to fill it. And God answered your prayer by sending a person to meet that need. Well, guess what? Just as important, just as you are important and significant to God, so are others. And God wants to use you to be the answer to someone else's prayers. In the first of the year, I've been reading Acts 10. We're going to take a look at Acts 10. Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius was someone who was kind of common Carl from Collin County. He was affluent, and he had prayers, but he didn't know Jesus. And God sent Peter to him to answer that need. Peter didn't want to go at first. If you read the story, so, oh, I can't wait till we get into this. Peter said, I can't do that. He's a Gentile. I can't go there. I've got to stay in my box. He says, no, I want you to go. And God sent Peter as an answer to Cornelius' prayer. God wants to use you because every life matters. I went on a vacation a year ago. It was kind of the vacation of a lifetime. There used to be a gentleman in this church, Bill O'Connell. He used to be, he's now retired, semi-retired at least, from Deloitte and Touche. He was one of the top three who settled the account at the 9-11, the 9-11 uh, buildings or the, the, the Twin Towers during 9-11. And he called me up last September and says, George, I'm going to go on a vacation, and uh, my wife won't let me go. Uh, it's overseas to follow in the footsteps of the band of brothers, and she won't let me go unless I take somebody. Would you like to go? Hold it, Bill. I need to talk to my wife. Cheryl, she's the boss, you know. Cheryl, can I go next this September to, to, to Europe? A band of brothers, you know, it'll, I'll be gone for two weeks. She said, yes, Bill, I'm there. I got to follow in the footsteps of the Band of Brothers. You remember that uh, HBO series? It was a mini-series back in 2001. Uh, major winners, okay? I mean, I, I got to see it all. We, we went everywhere that they went, okay? I even got to sit in the, in the, uh, the uh, foxhole that Major Winner sh shaved himself in, in the Ardeen Forest. It was a highlight. I got to see Normandy, and that was sobering and yet inspiring. I got to see Luxembourg. In fact, I got to stand by the graveside of General Patton. One of my heroes, I read a lot about General Patton. Take a look at this. There it is. But the highlight of that vacation, vacation of a lifetime, was not Normandy and it wasn't Luxembourg Cemetery. 
It was the Netherlands Cemetery. There's another cemetery of soldiers that are buried there, 8,301. When I walked into this place, I mean, you could see all the crosses like you typically do at Normandy. And the curator stepped out, and he greeted us. And he began to talk and give us the facts about the cemetery. 8,301 there, about 1,722 missing soldiers. There's six medal, uh, medal of honors buried there, and just all these facts. And then he stopped and he said, I know this is kind of overwhelming, but, but let me ask you this question. Which of these graves would be the most important to you? And everyone kind of looked around and says, well, probably the one where maybe my dad or brother or mom or sister or whatever was buried. And he said, yeah, every, every life matters. And then he began to describe a story of a soldier that was discovered in the late 60s from World War II in that area. They still today find two to three soldiers every year who have died in hedgerows and things like that. So back in the 60s, late 60s, they called this family up and says, hey, we found your loved one, and where would you like his remains sent? And he says, well, we'd like him to be buried there in Netherlands in the Markham Garden campaign with his, with his men. And the, the response was, well, that's impossible. The, the cemetery's closed. No one can be buried here. And so this family in this small town in the Midwest began to get real active and, and petitioned Congress, and they brought forth his last will and testament where he said he wanted to be buried there if he died because that is where his family was originally from, the Netherlands. And so they did all this work, and Congress changed the rules, and he was buried there. And I want you to take a look at this picture right here. You see that one cross out in front of all the other crosses? When I saw that, I began to cry. Because every life matters. Every life. Your life mattered so much that God sent a person to answer your heartfelt prayer of hopelessness. And God wants you to go to answer someone else's heartfelt prayer. Folks, this is not a time to despair. Our world, our nation, our state, our community, our friends and family matter to God. At least in my lifetime, I have never seen so much chaos in all of my life. Now is not a time to despair. Your life mattered to God, and so do other people's lives. And you may look at yourself, and you may say, I'm just inadequate. I'm just a plain old person. Well, folks, that's how I felt. I was just a wet-behind-the-ears, 32-year-old pastor who thought he knew everything, didn't know squat. I didn't know anything. And God used the feeble gifts that I have to help minister to a community filled with hopelessness. And you may be sitting here thinking, you can't be a difference maker. You can. I would remind you and I of Abraham. Take a look. I want to read this. This didn't get in your outlines. I've been working on this thing. Uh, Romans 4, 18 through 19. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. 
Circle the word hopeless. Well, you don't have it on your outline. You can't do that. Deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He looked at himself and said, I'm hopeless. Hey, but it's not about you. It's about God. And you seeing God correctly and through his eyes seeing yourself correctly. This is what Paul later goes on and talks about in Romans 4, 22 and 24, which you have in your, your outlines. Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham, it is also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. Folks, it's not about me and it's not about you. It's not about what I have and it's not about what you have. It is about seeing who God is. And it is about understanding what he can do in you. Just as he began the change process in you, God wants to use you to bring some kind of change and hope into someone else. And if you think about it, it's that hope within us, is it not, that drives us that drives us to be purpose-driven people, to come to church on Sundays, to have fellowship on Sundays, to grow in, in our character like Christ, to give our lives away through caring for the hurting, the helpless, and the hopeless, and yes, even the homeless, and to go. At the first of the year, we're gonna nail this down. But for now, just fill in these blanks right here. It's hope that empowers our purpose. Number one, we worship because of hope. We worship. I want you to circle the word praise and draw a line to living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we fellowship because of hope. I want you to circle the word body and draw a line and circle called into one hope. Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called into one hope when you were called. Thirdly, we are driven by, by this. We grow in discipleship through hope, will you circle the word teach in Romans 15, four, and circle the word hope and draw a line between the two. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, to grow in other words, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Fourthly, will you circle the word work and labor and the word hope, and draw lines between those two. We serve, we minister. In other words, we care for others because of hope. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.4, we remember before our God and Father, 
your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Fifthly, we evangelize. In other words, we share our story because of hope. Will you circle the phrase, give the reason for the hope that you have? First Peter 3, 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. And finally, we go. We go on missions because of hope. Will you circle in these two verses nations and hope and draw a line between the two. Matthew 12, in his name, the nations will put their hope. Isaiah 49, verse eight, I have chosen you to take my promise of hope to other nations. Now think about this again. All of those things that drive you, those five, six things, started because someone went out and answered your heartfelt prayer of hopelessness. And all of this can start in someone else as you help them to see further than they could possibly see on their own. God has called you to do that. When I was 25 years old, and I had one wife, and by the way, I've only had one wife, and I had one son, Aaron. Someone sent me a cassette tape of, of Dr. Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary. And on this tape, he was talking about the importance of going and getting in the race and being involved. And he shared a story about um, President Kennedy, who had just seen a football game and was interviewed by a reporter who asked the president, hey, what did you think of the game? And the president responded to this reporter by simply say, saying this, you know what, I saw 22 men that desperately, desperately needed rest. And I saw 60,000 people that desperately needed to exercise. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Okay, God, I'm about going. One week before I left on my sabbatical, I went to a gala. I love going to galas, especially mission stuff. And they presented a little video, and the quality isn't the best, but they presented a video of Dr. Howard Hendricks, who is now retired quite old and has had some physical challenges. But he shares a story about Jim Elliott. I named my first son after Jim Elliott, Aaron Elliott Pfizer. Jim Elliott was a missionary in the 50s to the Indians in Ecuador. And he gave his life, literally, physically gave his life to reach the unreached. And in this video, Dr. Howard Hendricks is talking about how Jim Elliott, who was a freshman at Wheaton College while he, Dr., or was Howard Hendricks back then, was a senior, and how they linked up and how Jim asked Howard Hendricks, Dr. Hendricks today, this question, is it okay just to be about reaching people for Jesus? I'd like you to watch this. The back room hour tonight will be a memorial service to the five missionary martyrs who gave their lives for Christ and his gospel just one week ago 
seeking to reach the savage Auca Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. Remembering Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, James Elliott, and Roger Udarian, we would stand and salute their memory. Jim's life mattered because he did not think of an objection to what God was moving him to do. I was a senior and he was a freshman. Well, I had heard about his name and I wanted to meet him, so God made that possible. So this kid walked up to me. I want to get somebody who's got vision for doing what God has called him to do. And he just did that for me. So we spent a lot of time together. And uh, the fact of the matter was we would talk about him for the simple reason that he was a natural I mean, he wasn't a faker. He loved sports and spent a lot of time with it, but ultimately dropped a lot of it for the simple reason that he was so passionate about what God had called him to do that he felt he could let this go and still accomplish his purpose. He had taken a couple negative shots from others who said, no, nah, you know, that's good, but don't waste your time. You know, get back to what you're really interested in, all of these subjects and the rest of it. And so he stopped and said, is it okay if I really spend my time with people who don't know Jesus? And of course, I came on like a bulb to say, man, it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. Don't give it up. This is what God is calling you to do. You know, I don't think that everybody has to go overseas to accomplish God's will. The question is, am I willing to do that? You need a willing heart to do what God has called you to do. You may not understand all the parts at this stage of the game. You are going by faith to say, God has called me to do it, I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna trust God for it. I think it can be so revolutionary that over a period of time, there are gonna be people in the church that say, what happened? We are not the same church, thank God. We are seeing life, we're seeing salvation, we're seeing people respond to the truth, and everything that God wants is happening. He came forth and saw a great multitude, and he had compassion on them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. 
More people came to Christ through those five guys than any missionary in the last generation. One life can make a profound difference. brings tears to my eyes. Because I just think of the relationships I have with people just because of God's prompting in an airplane. George, this is where I want you to go. Is it worth it to bring help and hope to the hurting and the hopeless? You see, I believe that it is. So here's our plan. This is what we're about. The gospel. And the plan is this, on the big screen. If you don't recognize that, that's a stadium. And it's a race. And here's the plan. I want you to first notice that there are five, or five flags up there. Those five flags stand for the five priorities of God's purposes. The purpose of membership and maturity and ministry and missions and magnification. They stand for the five life components. My witness, my worship, my relationships, my walk, and my work. They stand for the five emotional needs that people have, support, stability, self-expression, and significance. That is what we are about. Those are our priorities. And our game plan is simply this. It first starts on Sunday morning, so to speak. Celebration, where we come and we celebrate Jesus together. Where we are excited as a spiritual family about what Jesus Christ has done in our life to where we won't want to miss one Sunday, to where we will not only attend regularly, but folks, we will invite because we see God's spirit moving. I would have us know that in the months ahead, you're going to be seeing different work. We're gonna be looking to hire a new associate worship pastor to add another tool to the toolbox so that we can celebrate Jesus in our services, on Christmas, on, on Easter, Holy Thursdays, just across the board. And that isn't just true for us adults. Folks, this goes across the board. You're gonna see tra changes that are gonna be happening in the student ministry and in the children's ministry. We're looking, as I brought Jason on, to make things seamless from childhood all the way to adult. One continuous, purpose-driven church with this plan. From, from celebration, we move into membership because we want people not just to attend, we want them to be a part of the body of Christ. We don't want them to just be consumers, we want people to be contributors. It's not good to be an orphan in our culture. You need to be attached to a spiritual family, not just by attending, but by joining. And so that's the next step. From membership, we go to connecting. And connecting is all about being together. 
It is about connecting with others in a lot of various ways that suits your fancy through life groups, through community groups, through support groups, through men's Bible study groups, women's Bible study groups, through service groups, worship, hospitality. There's a lot of different service teams that we have here. The vision is this, that you just don't come and attend, but that you are connected where someone knows your name. Sound like a song? and where you know you'll be cared for. From connection, we go to equip. And equipping is all about becoming. You see, this is where we're going to offer classes. We started this last year as a test drive. It's up and running. This year, we're gonna focus on Romans, where you can be equipped to understand what the gospel is and so that you can share it. I can't tell you how many times I have someone that call me up, honestly. Pastor George, can you go visit my dad or can you go visit my aunt or my uncle? They're in the hospital and I don't think they're gonna make it and I don't know if they know Jesus. And when I, I hear that, I go, yeah, I'll be glad to. But why don't you share it? It's not hard, it's your story listening to their story and weaving in Christ's story. It's really not that hard. And so we're gonna equip people on how to do that, and that's gonna happen. You can look in the bulletins, second service, equipping people. And we're gonna do that in class format, and we're gonna do it on one-on-one. -on -one. We started this this past summer, one-on-one -on -one discipleship with the goal of really empowering people to understand the gospel and what it means to share it. It's already off and running. Now from equipping, we go to deploying because life isn't just about head knowledge. You see, the purpose of maturity is missions. It's to go. And we're gonna train people to go into two areas, locally and globally. Now, let me just make a comment about locally. Yes, as a church, we've got some big things that we do. Outrun homelessness, adopt a family, uh, meadows, which let me bring you up to speed there. We have re reproduced ourselves. Christ Church on Legacy is gonna be taking over meadows. We are now off to Razor to do the same thing. I wish you could have been at Razor this week as Perry Gaudet's small group and I Host, hosted for the teachers a meal. Teachers were coming up crying. Title I school, just four miles down the road. Crying. The principal came up. I prayed. I just thought, you know, I'm just a pastor. I pray over every meal. And so I, I'm praying. Okay, let's pray. And everyone bowed their heads and prayed. And then a teacher came up. So I've been praying for 10 years for this school that we could pray. Zach, the principal, came up and says, I've never done that before. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I should ask. I'm just so used to doing it at Meadows. I mean, I've done memorial services at Meadows for the teachers. I said, I am so sorry. No, I really liked it. But we've got these big things. But folks, don't wait on the church. Go, I release you, go. We have women in the church that are helping women who are in sex trafficking. I talk with them, I pray for them regularly. 
We've got people going into prisons. We've got people going to old folks' homes. We've got people on their own who, who are going to food pantries and homeless organizations. I say this, go. Don't wait on me, I'm only one person. God can put it on your heart, go. And so we're gonna go globally, and we, uh, go locally, and we're gonna go globally. And it's like I said, we're working on Pakistan now. And so our plan is simply this. We wanna bring them in, build them up, train them for, send them back out, rawhide. Now, when you're running a race, and you've seen this with the Olympics, sometimes people fall and they hurt. Did you see the gymnast that broke his leg and was like that? Sometimes when you're running a race, you get injured. Life throws a curveball. It hits you. Maybe a divorce. Maybe the loss of a loved one. We're going to have a care ministry. We have a care ministry, but we've brought on a new person, John Clements, who's going to be oversighting our care ministry to help those who are hurting in a specific area. We're gonna be starting Grief Share through Ter Teresa Casterline. You've, you've met her, who's been up here. We've got a number of different, infidelity group. We've got all kinds here, okay? And the purpose is to bring health and balance back in their life. Why? So they can get back in the race and go back out into the world, into their cities, into their, or into their neighborhoods, into their city, into their county, and into the world. And then after you've reached one, you bring them back in on Sunday mornings because we're a Sunday-type culture here. And we get them to go around the bases ourselves. And then when you get done with that, you just go back out there and do it again because I've been doing it for 28 years, and I am not stopping. Because every life matters to Jesus. And so that's the plan. So, what do you do? I got three big asks of you. The first one is this. One, identify where you are at in the stadium. Maybe you're just coming to celebration service and you haven't joined the church, now's the time. God doesn't want you to be an orphan on the street. I guarantee you, he doesn't want you to be an orphan on the street. I did a funeral suicide this week. You don't want to be a funeral. You don't want to be an orphan on the street. Maybe you're there. Maybe you've joined the church, but you're not connected where someone really knows your name other than me. And even then, I might not know your name. I might call you Bob when your name is, I don't know, Harry. At least you'll be called by a first name, something like that. But maybe that's your next step. Join. I think it's September 25th. Be a part of this, this family. But maybe you've done that. Maybe, uh, or maybe, did I mention connection already? Someone give me some feedback. ADD's kicking in. I have mentioned connection. Okay, that, that you get connected, okay, to a small group because I want you to be involved where someone knows your name from connection then to equipping Maybe you need equipped. Maybe you don't understand the gospel. We can help you with that. Maybe we can help you understand how you communicate just with family and friends. Folks, we can do that. And then 
deploy going back out. And if you need care, obviously we're here. So that's the plan. Identify where you're at. Secondly, if you are leading or serving in any way, I'm going to drill down on this on September 21st, okay? September 21st, I want you to be there. It's a Wednesday evening. I don't ask much. It's one, one evening out of the year. Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock. And we're going to drill down and just what that looks like, okay? And then finally, invite someone. Invite someone. Start this next weekend. I'm going to do a series called The Fight. The fight for your marriage, the fight for your family, the fight for your friends, and then the fight for your walk with Jesus. Invite, because every person matters. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to come before you today and I want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you that you saw my need from eternity past and you made up a plan. And that plan was embodied in the person of Jesus that I might have hope for the hopelessness that I feel. And I thank you for my wife who you brought into my life to open my eyes to the need that I had of you. God, I want to thank you for the persons that you've brought into this spiritual family's life. I want to thank you for the moms and the dads, the grandmas and the grandpas. I want to thank you for the Sunday school teachers, the, the friends who got out of their comfort zone shared their story and Jesus' story so that we could have a story that would give us hope. So God, I thank you for these things. This year, as we kick off, God, we look to you. We don't trust in horses. We don't trust in men. We don't even trust in our own plans. You're the one that establishes them, God. But we thank you for them. And we ask you that you would open our eyes, God, this year, Above all years, God, open our eyes that we might reach people for Jesus. We might bring them in, build them up, train them for us, send them back out, rawhide, God. And so, God, we give you this. We look with eager expectation of all that you want to do. In your son's name we pray. Amen.